0: I'm your host, Nick Ginsberg, and you're listening to The Open Drive, a podcast focusing on authentic living and defining your own path against the odds. Hi there, welcome to episode two of The Open Drive podcast. And welcome back to the listeners from episode one and a huge welcome to any new listeners. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you to everyone for joining me on this journey. I'm I'm so excited to have this out in the world and to, to be able to help even just one or two people. So um, thank you. Please remember that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And also follow both the podcast Instagram, which is at The Open Drive. And you can also follow me personally on Instagram at Nick Ginsberg. So now that we've ticked that off, just a friendly reminder that this podcast does cover uh, some darker themes. So we are going to be talking about childhood trauma, mental illness and addiction. And it is really solely for the purpose to help anyone that is going through something similar And so that you can understand uh, how I managed to get to a point in my life where I am incredibly happy with who I am and how I handle myself. uh, And I really did that against the odds. So I want to be able to share that that story with you. Today in episode two, I want to talk about perception management. And if you listen to episode one, I touched on it briefly, um, but I want to dive into it a bit deeper. Perception management is something that I used as a survival technique. So when it first started was around the time that I started dancing. So I started dancing at Happy Feet Performance Academy, which is a fantastic school, by the way, on the Gold Coast, uh, when I was seven, and I finished there when I was 13. When I started, it was the first time that I had been heavily immersed in other people's lives. So I grew up with my mum, Louise, and myself. I went to school and kindergarten, but you never see people in family units at school, do you? It's, It's really just other kids. When I hit dancing, people's parents were there, people's siblings were there. You got to see other people's family units. And so I very quickly realized that my family unit, Whilst I love both of my parents so much and it was a unique family unit and all of that, I understood that their struggles, so addiction, mental health, meant that we were different. And not different in a in a good different. <laughs> I realized that we were we were that, we were different, and then it must have been, and my memory is very hazy on this stuff. I've spoken to my psych. I think I've I block certain things out, but I remember vaguely a, sort of a pity party approach to uh, to me when I was really young, um, and it it made me realise that. I need to tell people that I'm okay. But not in a, don't worry about me, I'm okay vo- vocalizing it, the saying it. It was, I need to show them that I'm great, that this is fantastic, everything is fine. And how I did that as a seven-year-old was laugh and giggle and play and, and have fun and sing and dance. And whilst I loved doing all of that stuff and I was, I was good at all of that stuff and it brought me so much joy. I would ramp it up when I was around the parents so that there was no sort of pity party for me. No. Oh, I feel so sorry for Nick. I didn't like that. I don't think anybody likes being the focus of pity. I still hate it now. Empathy. I'm all about love empathy. I'm an empathetic person, but pity, not so much. It, it, doesn't sit well with me. As I progressed through uh, dancing and I was getting closer to those teenage years, we had moments where mum and Louise, their addictions got worse and their mental health got worse and things unraveled, as I mentioned in episode one, and it became harder to hide that for me. So... My perception management really turned to targeting people that I knew could spot it. So instead of doing it for everyone, I would target the one person that knew I knew was focusing on mum and Louise not coping. I'm fine, everything's fine. Is that kind of uh thing, not, again, not verbalizing. It was me showing them physically that everything was fine. Laughing, smiling, joking, playing nothing's wrong. When I hit my teenage years, it shifted. So I kept doing that. Of course, as any person that went through primary or high school, I think 90% of kids were bullied and the other 10% were lucky. Um, I was definitely in the 90%. I was bullied hard. I had two mums. I was very evidently gay. I was chubby. I had blonde hair. I danced. Like, I was like a a sort of a gold medal <laughs> in terms of bullying. I, I, that's just, I was a, such a good target. And I I managed to figure out a way of keeping my head low and, and managing the perception of the bully so that it didn't get to me, nothing ever got to me, and of course it did but that helped me get through that what it it did as i got a bit older is i started managing internally within our own family mum and louise would have these bad moments and then feel guilty then have bad moments and feel guilty it was very much a roller coaster and during those guilty moments i would very much say to them No, everything's fine. Everything's okay. I know you're sorry. It's fine. Everything's okay. Looking back, I probably should have uh, been more vocal about my emotions and how I was feeling on the flip side. They probably also could have checked in a bit more, but (laughs) that's okay. I did that throughout my teen years and especially when it came to coming out. So People find it very interesting that me a son of gay parents really struggled coming out. And part of it is because mum asked me every year from when I was like 10 if I was gay. And it would be, Nick, I I know I know you're gay, just let me know or Nick, if you're gay, you just need to tell me. So it was it was like that all the time. And what that meant is that I then started managing mum's perception of me to try and throw her off the scent, if you will. (laughs) And then as I got older and I came out and I started getting really close with with my friend groups and I realised that I couldn't do it all the time. So I couldn't keep up that sort of facade all the time. And so I let one or two people in, and they got to see all of me, the authentic me. Not that I knew it at the time, but I had no way of controlling it because I had spent so much energy on uh, managing everyone's perception that I didn't have energy to uh, hide any part of me once I let someone in, if that makes sense. But what that did is it gave me the permission to start living a bit more authentically, and it was such an amazing feeling when I first met someone who didn't didn't pity me pity me for my childhood, didn't uh, didn't flinch at all the aspects of me and I remember thinking, oh, maybe I can be a bit more open. That was in my late, late, late teens. I think I was probably 19, maybe even 20. But through my 20s, I started, and it's been a long road, so I'm 34, And through my 20s, each year, I would start getting to know myself a bit better, loving myself a bit better. And then when I met my husband, uh, Richard, he really helped me just be me. And he didn't do it in any special way. He just created a safe space for me to talk for me to react how I need to react. There was still perception management happening because that's a hard thing to break, but it gave me the space to start working on myself. So internally looking at myself, understanding why I react in certain situations, why do I default to that, to that stance of, of managing someone's perceptions of me? Do I need to talk to a professional? What would that look like? And so throughout the last, I'd say, nine years that we've been together, nine and a half years, I've gotten to a point where I love all there is about me. I love the good. I love the not so good. And it's it has helped me do things and choose uh, paths of my life so much easier because i'm listening to my gut my authentic gut and it's and it's leading me in the right right direction if you are someone that also perception managers so if you are managing everyone's perceptions and let me be very clear this is very different to personal branding and shining a light on what you want people to see this is trying to hide aspects so they're very different things i just need to be very clear on that um again i'm not a psych my psych is phenomenal he's the one that's spoken to me about this and hopefully if you're listening i got most of it right <laughs> um, but i want to share my how how it's worked for me and and what's happened so how i managed to get out of that and it was with the help of my psych who i've been seeing for oh a year and a bit now, is understanding, so looking in and understanding why I react to certain situations, but more importantly, creating space within myself to let everything happen. So life isn't just about the good. There is a ton of bad in life as well, but that bad doesn't have to define you, not as a good. You define you. So f- start focusing inward, start looking at yourself, start understanding why you react to certain things. I'll give you a very clear example, um, which is a v- it was very easy for me to put these two together. So my mum, when I was 13, As I mentioned, she uh, dropped me off at a friend's and then never returned. She was in a very bad state. And uh, as you can imagine, if you were to do that as a parent, she was not in a good way. That that moment has meant that there are fears of abandonment that I've held on to throughout my life. When I first started dating my husband, constantly thought he was going to leave me. Friends constantly think they're going to leave me. It's only been in, I'd say, maybe the last five years that I've got a grip on that. So look at the stuff that happens in your life and how you react to it and see if you can piece it together. How I like to do it is I like to put myself in my therapist's shoes. So I put myself in Dave's shoes. And I say, all right, Dave, if I was Dave, what would I say? And that's worked really well for me. Over the last year, especially before that, I would just pretend that I was some psychologist, <laughs> but and I'm definitely not. But that's what I would do. What would I say? What is the what is the logical reason for this? Why why would I react that way? Now, if you feel that it is much deeper for you and it doesn't, it's uh, not as easy to do that, and you need assistance. I cannot recommend seeing someone professionally enough. Talking to a psych is not scary. You get the right one. They make you feel safe. It is a safe space to talk about your feelings. And we all should have one, regardless of our mental health state. I think talking to someone is such a good idea. So I want to leave you on that point. Start looking inward, If you perception manage, why do you do that? And in what situations is it the worst? So when is it that you go in full flight, look at me, I'm fantastic, like a peacock. So when does your tail feathers come up to go, don't look over here, don't look over there, look over here. When does that happen? And then understand why you reacted that way why that that has why you have that guttural response to those situations that's what's worked for me so i'll leave you with that as always, please make sure you reach out to me. I want this to be a two way street. So you get to hear me on the podcast and you get to hear my voice and my stories, but I still wanna hear yours. So please make sure you follow both accounts. So my personal account at Nick Ginsburg and the podcast account at The Open Drive, both on Instagram. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And finally, Once you follow, flick me a DM. Let's share our stories. I want us to come together and shared knowledge is so powerful. So I'm going to leave you with that. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day or a fantastic night's sleep whenever you are listening to this. And I will see you in episode three. Thank you so much for listening. See ya.